0: Good evening and welcome back to the Truth Tank. I am your host The Tank. If this is your first time listening to The Truth Tank, a big welcome. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. It's been a while since I recorded. I'm well overdue, I've been extremely busy at the moment. I know that's no excuse. I've been working hard on a couple of future episodes. I'm about 80% of the way done through one, and about forty of the other. 2020 was bad. 2021 was just as bad and 2022 is shaping up just to be as bad if if not worse than the previous couple of years it's pretty unbelievable what is happening in the ukraine and i will cover that on a future episode it's very hard to believe that in the year 2022 war is still legal and that is allowed to happen yeah i mean what can you say um yeah glory to the ukraine The war's been going for about a month, and Ukraine looks like it is kicking the shit out of Russia. I can only hope they keep up the good fight, and um, yeah, just prayers and thoughts to the people of Ukraine. So on tonight's show, I'm going to be covering the Oscars. I've been meaning to do an Oscar show for a while now. Every year I plan on doing one, and the award ceremony rolls around, comes and goes, and I can kind of completely forget about it. So I'm only a week late with this one. The As I'm recording this, the Oscars only happened a week ago, so it's still pretty current. And just how could you not cover the 2022 Oscar ceremony and what a complete clusterfuck it was? There's a lot more important things happening in the world. You've still got COVID going on. You've got the war in the Ukraine and a whole lot of other bad shit happening around the world that this has really taken the focus off of. But at the same time, it's a very fascinating and eye-opening look into the world of Hollywood, and just how morally corrupt a lot of people in Hollywood really are. And of course I'm talking about the Will Smith Oscars slap on Chris Rock, you have to be sleeping under a rock not to have heard about that by now. It's pretty shocking and disgusting to see that play out on live television all around the world, and how a you know rich, wealthy, very fortunate public figure like Will Smith can conduct himself like that in a public arena. It's a very fascinating part of history. Pretty much everyone has added their two cents to the Will Smith saga. Some think he's right, some think he's wrong. Others are more on the fence. But it is a very fascinating and mind-boggling event that played out. So without further ado, let's get into tonight's show. We're going to have a deep dive into the decline of the Oscars and the slap heard around the world. This is episode 35 of The Truth Tank, Ding Dong Oscars Dead slap heard around the world. So first up, the biggest issue with this year's Oscars, apart from everything that happened later on was the removing of categories, more so the technical categories, to cut down on time. And this is complete bullshit. Some of the categories that were cut from the award ceremony were pretty vital to the filmmaking process. In fact, they're probably the most important aspects of the filmmaking process, and you can't really have a movie without them. So the fact that the Academy chose to cut things like editing, best original score, and stuff like that is fucking idiotic. You are literally cutting out the heart and soul of the movie making process and it really defies logic why they would do this where there are so many other ways they could cut down on time. They could have cut out some of the fucking stupid jokes but yet they chose to cut out the vital categories of the filmmaking process which is a huge insult to the people who were nominated. I mean they just worked just as hard as all the actors and directors and producers out there. Don't the people in the technical categories deserve their 15 minutes of fame like everybody else or in Will Smith's case shame. Because that's kind of what the Academy is saying. And it's saying we don't really care about you. We don't really give a shit. You are the technical categories. You're not the pretty people. You're not all tied up wearing your you know $10,000 dresses and your suits. So you can just get your award. We'll pre-record it and we'll splice it into the telecast. And usually those technical categories, there's more than one person who is nominated. So there's usually a couple of people who have to do their thanks and appreciation but how is it any different to most of the main stars i mean will smith rambled for about six and a half minutes and he didn't get the orchestra cue to, to wrap it up they just let him keep talking despite what he had done a few minutes earlier there's a very one-sided look to the academy they if you're a celebrity like will smith you can pretty much do what you like but if your name is joe smith and you're in the technical categories you can fuck yourself pretty much So some of the removed categories were Film Editing, Best Original Score, Production Design, Makeup and Hairstyling, Sound, Documentary Short Subject, Live Action Short Film, and Animated Short Film. Those awards were all pre-recorded at a ceremony that had taken place before the Oscars did, which were then edited back into the telecast, probably so they can control the, the time. I noticed that a lot when watching it live, a lot of people who accepted awards had their speeches cut, which I found funny because it was supposed to be a live telecast, so there was obviously some type of delay in the recording. In Australia, they didn't cut the swearing out, we got the full unedited version of Will Smith's tirade, where some countries had it edited out because there's a, I don't know, I think there's like a 30 second break between the live telecast and how it's broadcast or something like that. this is something they tried with the technical categories. They recorded their speeches and stuff earlier, then just kind of spliced them in. It was really weird because they cut a lot of it out. These are some of the categories that um, I'm most interested in. Like Like I said before, this is the heart and soul of the filmmaking process. And these people deserve their chance to be celebrated, just like any actor, producer or director. Something similar was proposed back in 2019, but due to a lot of backlash, the Academy decided to change their minds at last minute. Ratings have gone down significantly and the Oscars decided to finally try and shorten the award show and finally made the decision to cut a lot of stuff out. I found a pretty interesting article relating to just this issue with the removing of categories. It's from the Washington Post. It's entitled, The Academy is changing the Oscars and emerging and enraging the industry it celebrates. It's a slap in the face. There's no pun intended in that title because this was written before the now infamous Slapping episode. It's by Travis M. Andrews from the 15th of March, 2022. Alan Heim was positive he wasn't getting the Oscar. I absolutely, this is a quote from him. I absolutely knew I wasn't going to win, he said, recalling the 1980 Academy Awards in which he was nominated for editing Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. He practiced his speech in the shower anyway, figuring that if the miraculous happened, he didn't want to forget to thank anyone. I don't think there's many celebrities that kind of go off the top of their head in their acceptance speeches. It didn't hurt that Fossey had faith, giving him some advice, despite his protestations. This is another quote from him. No matter how cool you are, when they call your name, your body will freeze up and you'll turn to stone. And basically, that's exactly what happened. In Haim's distinguished career, he's edited a wide range of beloved movies, including The Notebook American History X and Network. But winning the Oscar for All That Jazz, standing on stage in front of his peers on live television and being recognised for editing, a craft that often doesn't receive much attention, stands out as a particular highlight. Yeah, I've always had a soft spot for editors because editing is fucking hard. Editing this podcast takes a long time and can get pretty tricky and very confusing very quick so I can only imagine what editing a a two-and-a-half-hour movie is like. It's a wonderful experience to walk around with that thing, to carry that wonderful statue, Haim said. It also led to more work editing films. It was a perfect experience, he added, and it shouldn't be denied. Yet for many this year, it will be. In a move that Haim, who now serves as president of the Motion Picture Editors Guild, referred to as degrading, a snub and a slap to the face. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced in late February that eight categories would be removed, and they were the categories I read out before. The Academy also announced at #OscarsFanFavorite and #OscarsCheerMoment two fan-voted categories for whose winners selected online would be announced during the ceremony, and its voters entered into the sweepstakes with prizes ranging from free movie tickets to giving out an award at the 2023 event, which I don't think they did that. I don't remember hearing it or seeing it when I watched it. Because they've always said they're going to do that, include a popular vote or a fan vote, but they never ever seem to telecast it, or if they do, they, it doesn't make it onto the broadcast. Because what would be the real point? Because there's no trophy being handed out for it, I guess, so in the end, it kind of means nothing. The moves come after a decade of declining viewership, and I can't imagine why they would be declining viewership in a three-and-a-half-hour Oscar show. The moves come after a decade of declining viewership. Last year's telecast was the lowest rated in history, which has found the Academy making or proposing several changes, including the expansion of Best Picture nominees from 5 to 10, and the quickly retracted plan in 2018 to have a popular film category. That's one thing that's always pissed me off, is they never include the popular films. Why don't they have their own category for popular films that can include superhero movies, action movies, comedies, and whatever? They never include popular movies. They always say they're going to put it in, but they always end up going back on their word at the last minute. And if they're also concerned about the show running too long, why would you include another five Best Picture nominations? Because that means there's five more previews of the best film you've got to play during the awards ceremony, how they spread it out during the night. There's probably more Oscar-quality films made now than there has been in previous decades, especially with the rise of streaming services and, I mean, how many streaming service movies are included in the Best pictures Picture nominations now. I think Netflix had a couple, so did Apple for the first time. So you do have more movies, but at the same time, that just gives you more reason to have another popular film category, but the Academy just seems stuck in the mud on that. ABC, which owns the broadcast rights for the Oscars, jointly made the decision to shake up this year's ceremony. With the academy according to a person familiar with network discussions who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss internal deliberations representatives from the academy did not respond to multiple requests for comment from the washington post i can't imagine why they don't like answering a lot of questions they like to have their own closed little club the academy is looking to get a bigger audience but i don't think they know where the audience is heim said Guilds such as the Cinema Audio Society, the Society of Composers and Lyricists, the Alliance for Women Film Composers and the Set Decorators Society of America have released statements urging the Academy to reverse course. A letter to the AMPAS president, David Rubin, signed by more than six dozen film professionals, including industry titans such as James Cameron, Kathleen Kennedy, Guillermo del Toro and John Williams. Stated that the decision is evaluating some filmmaking disciplines over others, and relegating those others to the status of second-class citizens. And I completely agree. I think it is completely stupid. If anything, they should cut out the song category. They can include all those glamorous aspects of the filmmaking process, but they don't. They want to cut out the heart and soul. It's typical of a very corporate and one-sided world, and I don't think the academy is any different. Except, like he, like Mr. Heim alluded to. They don't really know who their audience is. They're looking for a bigger and wider audience, but they don't know where to look. And the core audience they did have, they're kind of alienating. Scott Bomer, an Emmy-winning composer who has worked on Dolomite Is My Name, which is an awesome movie, Hustle and & Flow, and Black Snake Moan, was also one of the latter signings. Like many, I was extremely disappointed and even shocked by the telecast changes he said it's the most prestigious organization for highlighting the craft of filmmaking, but yet you're going to diminish these eight categories and instead air a Twitter, Twitter vote instead. To me, that's almost adding insult to injury, and I think it really diminishes the integrity of the Academy. Uh, I agree with that statement also. Yeah, social media is n- uh, not exactly a new thing, and it's not going away anytime soon. But to include it into a ceremony like that, I think is very is very much pandering to a new generation that probably doesn't even watch or pay attention to the oscars like when you see news sites and they have twitter captions from random twitter users is if anybody gives a fuck about their opinions this is news i want facts coming from a professional in the field i don't want a bunch of thoughts and misinformation from some fuckhead twitter user that doesn't know what he's talking about It's supposed to be, I mean, the Academy is a very powerful organization and you're asking the public and you're asking Twitter users to vote on a meaningless winner, pretty much on a meaningless award. It seems very narrow minded and very short sighted. They're pandering to the popular vote and not what they should have always been doing. Yeah, look, if the Academy Awards is going to lose uh, viewers, it's going to lose viewers, but it needs to probably retain a lot of the elements from previous decades that made it what it is. Trying to change it without knowing what that change is, is, is not going to do it any favours. It's going to make it even more convoluted and it's going to push more viewers away. And that in itself diminishes the prestige of the award. Part of the appeal of the award show, Boma said, is the thriller of discovery. And often that discovery comes in the categories where movies that might not be up for best picture can still be recognised. This is a quote. This whole thing is making the Academy less relevant instead of more relevant, which is what they're going for. He said, it's actually having the opposite effect. The more they pander to social media and modern culture, the less relevant the Oscars become. People like that kind of old world stuff. It's why the hipster revolution kind of has been so prevalent is people want to retain a certain part of history and the way things used to be done. And, you know, if you're going to have a award show that celebrates film and the people who work in the industry, you might want to include all of them and not alienate the core heart and soul of the movie-making process and of the industry. Obstinately, the reasoning for the change is to keep the historically long broadcast to a clean three hours in an attempt to increase ratings after 2021's record low of fewer than 10.5 million viewers. For comparison, the 2011 ceremony a decade earlier drew approximately 39.5 million but many question how these changes would boost numbers and if it's even possible to reclaim that audience. Last year, when the ratings were announced, I remember thinking to myself, that is your core audience, your ride or dies, said Matt Nigella, who runs the Next Best Picture website and podcast. Anyone who tuned in last year to watch your show are the people that you're going to get every year, no matter what. You either have to accept that this is the way things are, Or you can keep trying to change things and alienate your core audience, which I think the Academy is doing brilliantly. That's the one thing they have managed to achieve in the last five years is to alienate their core fan base. Mark Harris, a journalist and author of several books on film history, has become one of the most ardent critics of the Academy's decision. This is a quote from him. The holy grail of the Oscars has become this imaginary ABC viewer who is eagerly waiting for there to be fewer awards. No old people... No artsy movies, a super-fast paced and Spider-Man. He tweeted the day that the changes were announced. And I guess the Academy is going to chase that mirage right over the edge of a cliff. Harris, who referred to the decision as panic-based and a result of several flaws in thinking, in an interview with The Post pointed out the ratings across all award shows and television have been declining for years, not just the Oscars. Yeah, and good point. I mean, people just don't give a shit about shiny statues and award shows like they used to there's the modern world has uh, far more pressing issues to contend with rather than a shiny statue and yeah he's he's also he's 100 percent right in saying that they're chasing you know this new viewership right off the edge of a cliff they're trying to appease uh, viewers that aren't really their core fan base and aren't really who their target demographic should be who aren't the target audience they really want because these are the people that are going to jump ship as soon as it quote-unquote gets boring again or they do something minor and change it and upset them you're trying to appease a generation that has the attention span of what 30 seconds or something like that before they get bored and want to move on to something else i think goldfish have a better attention rate and that's kind of the core audience that they want they're trying to go after the twitter users the social media users and the people that don't give a shit about the stuff in the first place and the quote continues Nobody ever made a good decision about a television program by catering primarily to people who don't like the show, and that's what's happening now, Harris said. These people are all allergic to the, to a basic truth, which is that we live in a much more culturally fragmented universe than we used to, and there are many, many options for things to watch besides the Oscars. This is also coming from the same academy that try to ignore streaming services for years, and yet a portion of their Best Picture nominees are all from streaming services, so go figure. The Academy must be very foresighted to not be able to see the rise of streaming services and just how prevalent they were going to be to the future of filmmaking. So what's happening to the Oscars ratings is due to cultural forces that can't be undone or engineered by the people who make the Oscars, he added. The Academy Awards are one of the very few times for one night that achievement in all areas are put on a fairly level playing field if you're a sound engineer or a maker of shorts or a visual effects technician you get your moment the exact same way that an actor who's paid 20 million dollars for a movie or a famous director gets their moment and that's a very key point is yeah the oscars has usually been a pretty level playing field you know the editor or the sound designer can be on the same stage as robert de niro or john travolta or a Ridley Scott or a Steven Spielberg. It also highlights just how much of a slap to the face cutting those categories out of the award ceremony are. They've also recently been a place for the Academy, which has been heavily criticised for its lack of diversity, to celebrate historic wins. In 2019, Hannah Beachler to become the first black woman to win Best Production Design for Black Panther. Domi Shai became the first woman of colour to win Best Animated Short. The next year, Joker composer Hilda Gardnadottier became the first woman to win Best Original Score. Oscar producer Will Packer, along with other Academy Board members, insist that viewers won't notice a difference. At the same time, Rubin has defended the decision by saying it's a critical year where we knew we had to make changes to find a large audience, that the ceremonies have not been attracting and we're looking to have a bigger tent to bring everyone in. Now, I think that's a very misguided statement. They clearly have no fucking clue where their audience or who this mysterious new audience is or where they should be looking for it. They're obsessed with becoming more diverse and yet they cut out a lot of categories that had very diverse winners in the past couple of years and they insist that we won't notice a difference. Well, I think most people did because it was very obvious. When you have a jump cut through someone's acceptance speech, it is very noticeable. I noticed that with Questlove, he was thanking people he was getting pretty emotional i was pretty interested in what he had to say then all of a sudden it cut to the end of his speech and the upcoming ad break and that was it you just heard about the presenters coming up next and cut to a commercial and back for another award it was it was very obvious and it was very disrespectful the meanest thing i can say about the oscars is not as damning as that pair of statements harris said noting their inherent contradiction what is the purpose of change that no one will notice That is a very good point. If you are going to change something, or you do change something in any part of life, it's usually so it gets noticed. People usually don't change their hairstyle or colour for people not to notice. It's usually a very deliberate act that is designed to draw attention to the change. Nonetheless, ratings for this year's ceremony will almost certainly be higher this year than last year's, which arrived midway through a pandemic that saw movie theatres shutting across the nation, and studios holding major tentpole movies in anticipation for their reopening. The danger is since the ratings are probably going to go up anyway, the people who have advocated for the silliness will be empowered to say, see, it works, Harris said. Another good point, because they will just justify cutting out those eight categories as proof that their changes worked yet more people were probably going to tune in this year because cinemas have been open longer than they were at the time of the last Oscars with the COVID closures. Like I said about the streaming services, lots of people have been sitting inside during the pandemic watching movies on Netflix and Amazon and Apple. So a lot more of those Oscar movies have probably been watched than in previous years. Trevor Gurix, an award-winning composer who wrote the score for The Goldfinch and has reportedly worked with M. Night Shyamalan, and who signed the open letter alongside Cameron and Kennedy, worries decisions like this could lead craft workers to pursue other industries. If the mission of the Academy is to support filmmaking and educate the public about the craft, this decision shows they don't have a respect for your craft, he said. Gurix has begun composing for video games, an experience much more interesting and fulfilling than getting an Oscar now. If they're going to put it on the back burner, he said. I just think it's really unfortunate. That they would go down this route, he added. Why is it on us to be kicked to the curb? A very good point. And that's one thing the Academy and Hollywood, in my opinion, doesn't take very seriously, is the video game industry. If you piss off all those editors and sound designers, production designers, and they do get pissed off enough that they do look elsewhere for work, and they don't want to be a part of the film industry anymore, they're going to go straight for television or the video game industry. And the video game industry is fucking massive it put Hollywood to shame in a lot of regards. It employs thousands of workers and a lot of those people can go, come straight from film or TV and transition into video games. It's probably not all too dissimilar to how a movie is made. He, while he used to compose for movies, now he's composing for video games and he's pretty happy. And I'm pretty sure the Academy will notice that change if enough people in the industry jump ship for the video game industries or for TV. So if all those changes are designed to save time from the ceremony i think that's a pretty gutless excuse if they wanted to save time then realistically there's a lot of better ways they could do it there's a lot of fat they could trim from the show to make it run smoother here's a couple of things that could save a lot of time one would be getting rid of all the songs throughout the ceremony we don't need to hear a live version of all the nominated songs We don't get to watch all the best picture nominations while the ceremony is going on, so why do we got to hear five or six or however many songs there are played out live in front of you? That would cut at least half an hour out of the show, if not more. It's about movies. It's not about music. I know music does play a very important part in the filmmaking process, but you don't need the entire song played out for you. The decision on the winner is already made, so it's kind of irrelevant. You're You're not hearing the songs and voting live, straight afterwards and going, well, no, I think that one was better than the last one. Oh, I like this. I like song one for better than song four. Cut all that shit out. Another way you can save time is getting rid of all the cringeworthy monologues and jokes throughout the show. So for instance, this year's Oscars started off with a very cringeworthy Beyonce performance where she is riding a horse in some flero outfit down the streets of Compton, I mean, it was obvious it was a reference to the Williams sisters because I think it pretty much mentioned that in the song. It wasn't exactly a short song either. It it felt like a mini movie played at the start of the award. It was a very long and drawn out song. It went longer than it should have. I think it was over five or seven minutes. And that went straight into the three hosts because you can't host a show with one person anymore. You need three kind of funny comedians to host the host slash not host the Oscars now. And then they had a 10-minute monologue that was kind of funny. It made some strong political points, but they weren't really strong enough that they would offend anybody. They were kind of just middle-of-the-road type stuff. You cut all the jokes and songs and all the cringy monologues out of the Oscars, and you've probably cut 45 minutes to an hour out of it. You could also cut down on the amount of previews for the Best Picture. Most people know the movies that are nominated. You're not exactly going to watch them before the ceremony anyway, so previews are really just for the television public who may or may not have seen the film. They should also shorten the acceptance speeches. If you're going to have multiple people, they each get you know a minute and a half of talk, depending on how many people are on stage. Individuals get two or three minute speeches and that's it. And after that, you get shot in the back of the head. Now they should uh, start the music, close the curtains, bang, you're off the stage, next person on. Maybe get rid of all the stupid cutting to the crowd all the time and all the you know, fashion shit and all that other crap that goes on. If you did all that, you'd probably find you cut an hour and a half out of the show. And you could streamline it and have a two and a half hour award ceremony, make it nice and tight. Everyone in, everyone out. You wouldn't have to stay up till midnight watching it. The Academy would achieve its goals. They'd get more people tuning in. More people would like it. It would seem obviously a lot faster pace, but they'd also feel like there's a lot more put in it rather than spreading it out over three and a half hours it would feel like a lot more has been packed into it. And that's the one thing the Academy really has overlooked, is that no one's got time or all the patience for a three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour award show anymore. The modern world has changed. People just don't put the importance on all that glitz and glamour. The Oscars now has just become the absolute height of pretentiousness and hypocrisy and a blatant showing off of wealth and social status in a world that has drastically shifted from the glitz and glamour of the old world Hollywood i.e. the 20s 30s 40s and 50s it seems like they are trying to relive an era that doesn't really exist anymore and i really think that the academy is out of touch each year they try to get back as many viewers as possible but ultimately in the end they just end up losing more and more viewers each year because they don't really have a clue who their target audience is anymore Uh, does anyone really care about the Oscars anymore or the gold shining statue you get for getting paid millions of dollars to play a character in a movie. There's obviously more to it than that and I have a big respect for the film industry and the movie making process but I don't think it's as important as it used to be. I mean I used to love watching the Oscars. I used to get excited about watching it and especially in the last 10 years I just care less and less and less especially within the last five to six years it's become so heavily politicized and seems so rigged. Cause there's always a theme or some type of agenda they're trying to push so it makes it very hard to like or want to follow the oscars anymore so the big question that looms over the academy and the oscars in general is the oscars still relevant are they relevant in the modern world or is it just a ego stroking wank fest for the rich and the famous the other thing i've noticed with the academy awards that i i think is a little annoying is each year there are more and more non-film industry people there, i.e. the cool people that aren't a part of the film industry that the Academy thinks will draw a bigger and broader crowd. The cool people are usually guest presenters of an award. This year, those cool people were Tony Hawk, Kelly Slater, and Sean White, which I didn't even know who the guy was. I had to look him up, and turns out he's a snowboarder. So, I mean, are they, are they trying to appeal to the extreme sport audience because i don't really think they give two fucks about the oscars i've noticed that in the last couple of years they've had a lot a lot more athletes and yeah some athletes do appear in films and stuff and i'm not talking about them i'm talking about the ones that haven't done anything film related for that year but are just there because they were asked by the academy to be a guest presenter yeah guest presenters there's nothing wrong with that but when you have a whole bunch of extreme sports personalities on the on the stage presenting uh, an oscar even if they are the the guests presenters it comes off like the academy is just full of old people who think oh well you know the, the kids will appreciate it if we have if we have some extreme sports people will present the awards yeah that will get the kids watching if we have that tony hawk fella and kelly slater and sean white yeah that'll get the kids watching again that will give us a more broader audience it comes off as kind of confusing and just kind of sad really i mean in other years they have had other athletes attend and present awards the williams sisters have been to several and obviously they were there this year because they had a movie made about them which was nominated that's understandable and that's not what i'm referring to the exception to athletes and cool people is if they're in a movie or the movies about them while doing the research for this show i also found out that the academy also trying to broaden its horizons and diversify the members of the academy kendrick lamar has been invited to join the academy and that also comes off like a very out of touch very old academy trying to appeal to the cool people if we either get that rapper to join the academy more young people will follow us and more young people will tune into the oscars every year me a good great for kendrick lamar if he does join the academy but I'm not sure it's going to broaden your audience anymore. The other th- really annoying thing about the Oscars that if they cut a lot of this out would save time but would also maybe refocus the Academy Awards is the focus on fashion and who or what people are wearing. The fashion aspect of the Oscars has, seems to have become more important in some regards than the actual categories that are nominated technical categories get pissed on more and more every year and it seems that there's just more focus on the glitz and the glamour. Look at all the pretty celebrities in the front rows. Look at what and who they're wearing. There seems to be more attention paid to the fashion of you know someone's wife or an actor or an actress than there is about the sound the editing or the production design. The old format and the way of doing things doesn't really seem to work anymore but the Academy won't or can't see this for whatever reason. They keep trying to modernize the Oscars and they just keep losing viewers. And obviously this probably comes as no surprise that, you know, the movie stars get all the attention in the Oscars. I mean, I get it. They're the glamorous ones. They're the ones that are recognizable from the characters they've played in movies. They're recognizable faces. No one cares about the editor or the sound engineer or what they look like, but they should care what these people look like and who they are because they are literally making the movies. There needs to be an important place on who these people are and getting their image or their profession out there. It shouldn't all be about the, the Will Smiths, the Brad Pitts, the Bradley Coopers, the Leonardo DiCaprio's. It should also be about the it should be about the man and woman that edited that film or designed the production, designed the costumes, did the sound or whatever. The other annoying and very irrelevant part of the Oscars is the over the top nature of it. Everything in the Oscars is just over the top. It's just done to the to the max. There's just this over-the-top focus on glitz and glamour. They roll out the red carpet. I mean, these people, yeah, they have a pretty extraordinary job. A lot of them are they are celebrities, but maybe they should just walk on the pavement. You know, like they're not royalty, and you know, I'm very against royalty anyway. I have strong opinions on royalty. I don't. I think it's a very old way of thinking, and it is pretty irrelevant in a modern world. Everything at the Oscars is just so over-the-top and so very wasteful. And this is a we're living in a world now where you have to be mindful of waste. You can't can't do things the way we have been doing things because it's not good for the planet, it's not good for human beings and it's not really working out. I'd like to see a more of a focus put on charity, helping others either either through pathways to actually get into the film industry or how to get a film made or viewed. They need to put a bigger focus on helping bring awareness to global issues such as climate change, ending poverty and breaking down the barriers of the out-of-touch, very arrogant celebrities who regurgitate political or popular opinions of the day, i.e. it'd be nice to see actors stop acting like actors. We wanna see real people. We wanna see actors as real individuals and not just as a character. I wanna see what actors really care about. It's a good way to bring awareness to charitable organizations and a very good way to help others. They have the power and the notoriety to do it. They can do a hell of a lot more than what politicians can. They're so corrupt and so obsessed with themselves and getting re-elected, they can't really enact any change. But Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt can have a hell of a lot of change just by making a statement on television or through social media. A lot of actors are always talking about climate change or, you know, we need to end poverty. But how many are actually doing anything about it? A lot of them talk a good game, but... When it comes down to it they miss the mark so I think there's a lot of perception out there that actors just don't give a shit or they're very fake like this actor pretends to care about this issue or he cares about these things because they don't want to come off as if they don't care because that might hurt the public image and that might not get them a job later on down the track or at least that's what the public sees or doesn't see and this is also probably feeds into the rumors about movie stars and about the academy and Hollywood in general. Another thing I'd love to see is the breaking down the divide of Hollywood and the public. It'd be nice if they included the general and global public in the Oscars more and not just make it, oh, well, we're giving you this glamorous night where you get to see all these movie stars and stuff because the general public, the Oscars doesn't affect them one way or the other. It's all about Hollywood. And yet all the advertisement dollars that get pumped into into the Oscars those key time slots it's all about viewership the same way you know with the super bowl it's all about the ads oscars is the same thing they can make millions of dollars out of advertisement revenue and you know the the glitz and the glamour of it and selling it to networks and tv rights and all that other shit so if you wanted more people to tune in maybe including those people you want to tune in might be the best way to do that you've alienated your core group of fans but yet you want a diverse crowd that doesn't really seem to care about the glitz and the glamour anymore. Another good way to cut down on running time would be to cut out a lot of the -the over-the-top bullshit in the speeches. If you remember Viola Davis's cringeworthy speech from a couple of years ago, where she was thanking God and praising the entertainment industry that it's the only industry that they get to live a worthy and full life. I mean, what about those surgeons and doctors that are saving lives every day? Police, firefighters, people in the army... The Navy, what about those people? They're not living a full life just because they don't want to become an actor like you and say someone else's lines doesn't mean it's not an unworthy pursuit. The academy should also ban the use of the word God in the acceptance speech. I think that is completely over the top and fucking arrogant. I mean, stop being so arrogant thinking that God only gives a shit about you or you, the people in that room. That's the thing that really pisses me off in sport as well was when athletes thank God for putting them there or for scoring a touchdown or winning the game. God's got nothing to do with it. There's a reason you're getting paid millions of dollars to do what you do, because not everybody can do it. Obviously talent has a lot to do with it, but you've been given an incredible opportunity and I don't think God is favouring you over, over the other 7 billion people on the planet. I think it's the height of fucking arrogance. Given all the suffering and injustice in the world at the moment, why would he give a shit solely about these sports or entertainment industries above anyone else? What about all those refugees in Ukraine? But I know the rich, entitled elitists of Hollywood are more important than everyone else in the world. Because when you thank God in those speeches, it's kind of by the same reasoning. You're kind of saying God only cares about those who are rich and famous. Fuck anyone else. If you're poor, well, you've got no hope. Another way the Oscars and the Academy could improve the viewership would be to make it more public and clear just how the Academy works and who's in it and how the voting process works. You know, the Oscars do change categories pretty often, you know, it's a field where the changing nature of technology means you're going to have to add new fields eventually, old ones change and become redundant, and a new digital one will replace it, visual effects editing all that kind of stuff didn't really exist 50-60 years ago, but now it's a huge part of the movie making process. And there are very few films made that don't have some element of visual effects in them, but I think the Academy is pretty set in their ways. They seem to be very set in their ways on other things like voting members and the member selection, I mean that is, has been the real issue for the last couple of years. Is they just change certain things, but they don't change anything that has any meaning. Like that article said, like they don't change, you won't notice the changes, so what's the point in changing anything at all? And just from a curiosity standpoint, I would like to see how the Academy works, how the voting selection works, how the votes are tallied, how do they determine what film or what actor is worthy of an award? Is there a certain criteria or a checklist that they've got to go through before they can get nominated? Like, does an actor have to cry on command? Do they have to you know, lose weight, put on weight? Do they have to you know, change the way they talk? Because there's very many different styles of acting. It would be curious just to see how they go about picking the best actor because a lot of the winners in previous years have got undergone some type of physical or mental transformation to play a character, like Joaquin Phoenix did the physical transformation and the mental for the Joker. Christian Bale, I mean, he's a method actor. I mean, he, he's lost weight, put on weight, lost it again, put it on, lost it, changed the way he walked and talked to play a character. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you, do you have to suffer for the character or the role to be nominated. So how, does they, how do they pick a good director? What are the criteria for that? That one's interesting to me. I've always been interested in directing. That's kind of the whole backbone of the filmmaking process obviously so what makes a good director is it just the ability to tell a good story or do you have to have creative camera angles and dramatic shots and that brings up the other question are you is a director too artistic and not story focused enough are they too story focused and not character driven enough is it not enough characterization not enough dramatic shots how does all this shit work this is the kind of stuff as a fan of the filmmaking process that i would want to know So maybe the Oscars need to put out a documentary before each year of how they selected the nominees, what movies were going to get included, that kind of thing. That would be interesting. It would also show you that it's not just a closed shop and it's not just this mysterious organization working from behind closed doors, because that's how rumors start. It would also break a huge divide between the public and Hollywood. It would show to a degree, hey, look, we're real people too this is you know, our job, we want to we want to let you behind the curtain so you can have a look at what we do, what we have to go through to pick a, an Oscar winner, make it a bit more fun, make it a bit more interactive with the public, and you might get more of the public wanting to tune in and watch the Oscars every year. Even with the drama of last week's Oscars, it was still the second lowest rated Oscars in Oscar history. So what does that show you? The changes aren't working, no matter what the Academy does, no one really seems to care or notice, and... There's not really much point of changing anything because your viewership has gone down the toilet. And at this stage, I don't think it's possible to get it back. And if it is possible, it's going to be one long journey to try and get back your viewership that you've lost over the last 10 to 15 years. They keep making the suggestion every year that they're going to include a public vote and a popular film vote and they always go back on it. Maybe it's time to do it. Maybe you should do it and see where the ratings go. You know, you keep alienating the public. Why would they support the thing that you're trying to sell them? If they don't feel like they're a part of it, they're not going to come back. And that's the real big problem with the Academy. The Academy comes off like some sort of shadowy, mysterious organization that's up to no good. It needs to be appeased and have its ego stroked by every winner who gets a trophy on stage, which only adds fuel to the fire. I mean, I don't think there's been a, a winner in history who hasn't thanked the Academy. I'll rightfully so. These are the people that are voting for them, so they should get a mention. But at the same time, the Academy seems to be so mysterious. And it seems that, like, kind of like the Illuminati, it seems like there's a lot of rich and famous people who are in it, like a lot of very obvious people who are in it, but no one really seems to know who. So who are the mysterious ca- Academy? Well, to find these answers, I went over to Oscars.org. And you can find out all about who is on the Oscars Board of Governors and who is in the Academy. So the officers of the Academy. So the president of the Academy is David Rubin. He's a casting director. He has over 90 credits to his name, including The English Patient, Men in Black, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Lars and the Real Girl. Vice President and Secretary is Donna Gigliotti. She's one of only nine women to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. She received a 98 Oscar for producing Shakespeare in Love. She received three additional Academy nominations for Best Picture, including Hidden Figures, Silver Linings Playbook, and The Reader. She's president of Tempesta Films, a film production company based in New York. So the vice president and treasurer is David Lind. He's an executive and founder and producer of roles of Lava Bear Films for Universal Pictures. He received an Oscar nomination for Arrival in 2017. That was a good movie. So vice president is Devin Franklin. He is African-American. So it's not all a bunch of old white people. David Rubin looks like he's pretty young, so does Ms. Gigliotti. He's a member of the executive branch and former SVP of production for Columbia Pictures. Second vice president is Larry Kazawoski. He's best known for unusual true stories, some of which include Edward, The People vs. Larry Flint, Man on the Moon, Big Eyes, and My Name is Dolomite. And Dolomite is my name, I should say. The other vice president is Isis Musidon. Other vice president is another African-American man by the name of Win P. Thomas. Credits include A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, Mars Attacks, Malcolm X. Other vice president is a white woman, Jennifer Todd. And there's an Asian woman, Janet Yang. began her career in China in distribution. Credits include The Joy Luck Club, People vs. Larry Flint, Shanghai Calling High Crimes, which is a shit movie, Dark Matter, Zero Effect, and the Oscar-nominated animated film Over the Moon. The CEO is Dawn Hudson. She was the director of Film Independent, started so as a non-prof, small nonprofit. Now it's a nationally recognized entity. So they're the more behind-the-scenes executive people who run the Academy. It is a pretty diverse bunch. I know everyone says that Hollywood isn't diverse, but it seems to be like they have actually tried to make the governing board as diverse as possible. A couple of years ago, it was just a bunch of old white guys. I think the youngest member was in his 60s or 70s, and they were very out of touch, so it's good to see that they have changed. And when you think about it, it's probably one of those aspects of you know their, their obsession with quote-unquote change, that they should be publicizing a bit more. Like Everyone is always criticizing Hollywood for not being diverse enough especially the Academy, but yet they seem to be pretty diverse. Officers of the, of the Academy, 2021-2022. to 2022. So the governors of the Academy for 2021-2022, to 2022, there are some pretty recognizable names. At the head of the governors is Laura Dern, followed by Whoopi Goldberg and Rita Wilson. So the way the Academy works, I had to look this up because I didn't actually know, is when you're on the Academy, if you're an actor, you can only vote for people in the acting categories. Same goes if you're a director, you can only nominate a director or best film. You can't nominate or choose a actor if you're a director. I think that's, I think that's how it works. Under the casting directors branch, they've got Kim Taylor Coleman, David Rubin, Deborah Zane. You come down to the cinematographers, you've got Paul Cameron, Ellen Kuros, Mandy Walker. Costume designers are Ruth E. Carter, Eduardo Castro, Isis Muzdian, then you have the director's branch. The director's branch is probably one of the most diverse. I thought it would just be a bunch of older, well-known directors, but it is made up of Susan Beer, she's a director of the Oscar-winning film In a Better World, never heard of that one. She also worked on The Night Manager and directed After the Wedding. Then there is Ava DuVernay, pretty sure she directed the Best Picture nominee, Selma, and of course you have Steven Spielberg, which doesn't really need an introduction. Documentary branch, similar thing. You have Kate Amand, Jean Tissen, Roger Ross Williams. Executive branch is Donna Gigliotti, Pam Abdi, and David Lind. Film editors, Dodie J. Doran, Stephen Arifkin, Tara Lien, a Sophosphere or something. I'm really fucking terrible reading people's names out, especially long ones. So forgive me if I get them wrong. In the makeup, you've got Howard Berger, Bill Korsko, Linda Flowers, and on and on and on it goes. I haven't looked at this prior to the podcast, so I'm actually pretty surprised that there is a lot of diversity on the Academy. It also probably reflects their obsession with diversity throughout the Oscars. Also, the ages vary quite a bit. There's a good mix of older people and younger people, which is weird because they seem to keep alienating younger people and younger, younger, broader audiences. So with this amount of diversity on the board, you think that these people would be able to come up with a modern revamped Oscars that would appeal to a larger audience that would satisfy the core hardcore Oscar fans, but would also bring in the newer modern audiences that don't have the attention span for three and a half hour shows. So I am surprised that the Oscars has failed as much as it has in the last couple of years because it seems like they should be able to figure this out. There seems to be a lot of very successful, smart people in the Academy and yet year after year the Oscars turns into a bigger clusterfuck than the previous year which is really interesting. Um, Yeah, you'd think they'll be able to figure that out but obviously they can't. We will never know if there is some type of internal political battle that goes on with the Academy. There probably is. I mean, you can't get five people to agree on anything, let alone fifty or a hundred. So yeah, maybe there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that than we'll ever know. But at the same time, like I said before, it's the perfect time to break down that mysterious academy wall and let the public in. Let them see how what goes on behind the scenes and how, how the academy works. Because these are all people who have worked in the industry, so they've, you know, worked their ass off to get where they are, so You think they'd be able to come up with a happy conclusion that makes satisfies everybody. The Academy, the people in Hollywood, the people at home watching, modern audiences and older audiences. One of the biggest and most obvious changes the Academy could make to the Oscars is pretty simple. Make the Oscars about movies again and not just boring Oscar bait movies with political or societal themes running through them. This is just my opinion, but in the last 10 years, about 80-85% of the Best Picture winners have been boring as shit. I mean, these movies are fucking unwatchable. Even this year's Power of the Dog, like I haven't heard anybody say that movie was good. I know a couple of people who have gotten like an hour into it and had to turn it off. or well, they got past the first 50 minutes expecting that it was gonna pick up and then it just amounted to nothing. I think it was Wanda Sykes that said that she would tried to watch it like four times and it. she's still trying to watch it. So how the fuck can a movie like that make best picture if it's putting people to sleep? One movie I've seen in the last couple of years that was a Best Picture winner was Moonlight, and I thought that movie was fucking terrible. Not because of the subject matter, it was just not an interesting movie. It was just fucking weird, slow. Mahershala Ali won the Best Supporting Actor, which I was surprised because he isn't in the movie long enough to really win an Oscar. He's only in it for about 25 to 30 minutes and he disappears. Spoiler alert. I mean, speaking of diversity, I'd love to see more of it when it comes to the Best Picture nomination. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of the Best Picture nominated films in the last couple of years because they are pretty much always just boring kitchen sink dramas with some type of fucking political theme running through it that the Oscars want to try and get out there and go, look, we're diverse, we're picking movies about this, this, and this. Go back to the days where you picked Gladiator as the Best Picture or Saving Private Ryan, Titanic... Those big spectacle movies that had a message but were also entertaining. They were made by directors that knew how to make and craft a film. And obviously that's switched a lot with streaming services now because there's more you know, movies being made and they have to be included, I suppose. Or they want to be included. With the big boys and unfortunately cinema with COVID isn't like it used to be. There's a lot of movies that aren't coming out or getting delayed for varying reasons. And someone's choosing just to bypass the cinema releases because it's cheaper and go straight to streaming. The only movie I had seen for Best Picture this year was fucking June, and that was a masterpiece in my opinion and that should have fucking won everything. It won pretty much all the technical categories but it missed out obviously for Best Picture which I thought I should have got. That movie is just perfectly written, directed and edited. It's a masterclass on how to make a long very complicated dramatic story, very interesting and very watchable. I mean I became obsessed with June after seeing that. I saw the original, wasn't that great but the new one like I got captivated by the mythology and the well created in Frank Herbert's novels so why can't the best pictures include different genres like comedy action sci-fi or popular films which they always say they're going to do but always go back on their word a few months out from the night of the oscars in other words make movies great again include them in the best picture and not just pretentious oscar bait shit or if you're going to do that Why not have several best picture categories? Have your dramatic category for your kitchen sink dramas. But why isn't there a category for action films, sci-fi films, and for comedy? People think acting in comedies is easy. It's as difficult, if not more difficult, than acting dramatically. So why isn't there a separate category for comedy? Because I think they used to have a comedy and musical category. I'm pretty sure that they have cut out in the last couple of years. There wasn't probably enough musical movies made every year, but they could have included comedies in that. I vaguely remember something about comedy and musicals several years ago. Anyway, moving ahead. Another thing that would make the Oscars a hell of a lot more watchable would be to get rid of all the politics from the show. No one cares and wants to be lectured by millionaire celebrities about politics or how morally righteous Hollyweird is and how racist and immoral everyone else is. And this is coming from, you know, the morally corrupt Hollywood and the Academy. I mean, look at the Me Too movement and all the sex scandals that have come out of Hollywood in the last couple of years. It's a fucking shit show. It always has been and it has exposed a very dark side of Hollywood that some people knew was there, but others didn't or chose to ignore it. It's always been the seedy underbelly of how Hollywood worked. It's no secret and it shouldn't have really come as a surprise to anybody. But That's just how shit got done in Hollywood. Now the dirty secrets have come out to the come to the surface, and they want to try to make amends for them. Yet these are the same people that like to lecture everyday people about politics and environmental concerns, and don't really seem to do shit about them. But probably the most annoying and patronising part of the Academy Awards is all the hypocrisy. Year after year, you hear these celebrities gushing over issues, and then you know two days later they're caught doing something or they say something that completely contradicts what they you know quote unquote believed on the night in front of a camera there is a lot of hypocrisy in hollywood i mean just look what happened during the ceremony this year i.e the you know the will smith incident how many times has hollywood lectured us on violence is not the answer toxic masculinity is wrong sexism is wrong the way we treat women is wrong we're all a bunch of racists there's not enough diversity in hollywood There's not enough black actors, there's not enough Asian actors, there's not enough Latino actors, there's too many white actors, there's not enough white actors. How many times have we heard this shit over and over and over again? And yet no one did anything when Will Smith physically assaulted Chris Rock on stage in front of billions of people around the world. And the most bamboozling thing about that whole incident is that he was allowed to stay. He was allowed to stay in the front row, no one asked him to leave, security wasn't called. It was a very big what-the-fuck moment. And yet, 35 minutes later, when he's accepting his best actor award, everybody cheered and applauded him like nothing had happened. They even gave him a standing ovation after his very convoluted and rambling speech about love and light and peace and all this other shit. Yet he had just assaulted Chris Rock prior to that. I mean, if anything, he probably should have been accepting the award from a jail cell or from backstage somewhere, or they should have had a proxy accept it for him. He probably should have been taken out of the auditorium him and his wife he shouldn't have been allowed to stay and this is the same hollywood that sat back and did nothing and applauded him like some type of hero but more on that later so cut the hypocrisy cut the hippocratic bullshit stop lecturing people on political and societal views and just get back to making movies and celebrating movies without the politics so going back to politics for a sec we don't need any more political advice from hollywood When the hosts start making political comments all the time throughout the ceremony, it gets a bit fucking annoying. It really does get on your nerves because you just want to sit there and watch the awards for the films. It's a night about movies and movie making and that's what people want to watch it for. They don't want to sit there and be lectured or listen to a political or societal commentary by people who are so removed from the problems they're complaining about that they have no idea about the actual problem to begin with. You know, when the hosts start making political com- comments, things get very cringy very quickly. Like a few years ago when every second comment and every second joke was about Trump and why Trump was bad and why people shouldn't vote for him and they should vote for the other guy. I'm not political at all. couldn't give a fuck who anyone voted for. I don't like politics. I don't like politicians. But the, the Academy Awards are not the arena to protest a political candidate or a president or whatever. Trump has no place at the Oscars. Neither does anything political. In years gone by, that hasn't really been so much of an issue. It's just in the last ten. And this is all coming from the extreme left of smorons of Hollywood. These people are so incensed by their own self-importance and righteousness, they have pretty much lost their grip on reality. These people don't know what the real problems of the world are. They don't know. They don't care. They don't want to find out. And this is coming from some of the most morally questionable people in the public eye. this is not all celebrities, obviously, there are exceptions. A lot of celebrities don't voice their public opinion about politics, and some are so over the top with their political views, it makes them very hard to like. So people like, you know, Tom Brady or Steph Curry, athletes like that, don't voice their political opinions, and nor should they. Their athletes, no one is going to ring up Tom Brady for political advice, or, you know, get him to talk about the upcoming election somewhere, it's not his field. So people like that know how to play the game. When you don't voice your p- political opinion, more people like you. That can end a lot of relationships really fast or make people not like you. It's when people start voicing political opinions. Either oh, you hear so-and-so's a Republican or so-and-so's a Democrat? Who gives a fuck? So that's what makes people like Tom Brady or Steph Curry very likable, is they're about the sport. They're about, being the, about playing and perfecting their craft as well as they can. Most athletes don't make their political opinions, public knowledge, unlike a lot of actors. This doesn't make you wonder, the political views of actors, are they their own or are they trying to show the powers that be, i.e. the freaks that run Hollywood and make the decisions on what gets made and by whom? Are they trying to show them that they, they're they aligned with their woke liberal agenda. Because it's very hard to tell with actors, because they, they are actors, do play characters. It is very hard to tell if they actually believe Half the shit they say or not, it's very hard to tell. Unfortunately, as good as it would be to see the removal of all politics from the Oscars, it most likely will never happen. Because the movie business, like pretty much every other business, is political. Politics and business strategy dictates the decisions made by film studios and executives. The way things that are run at film studios are very much the way things are run at the Academy. They're out of touch, they're looking to expand an audience without really having any direction of what or who that audience is and the film industry is a business like any other and just like every other business they're driven by money and power and these movie studios and television studios are no different so let's have a deep dive into how you win an oscar while i was doing the research i found a very interesting article that explains on pretty much how you win an oscar but also all the political behind the scenes shit that goes on in hollywood and It was a little surprising. The article is from Vox.com, entitled How to Win an Oscar. The campaign trail for the Academy Awards is expensive, exhausting, and not really about the movie. It's by Alyssa Wilkinson, and it was published on the 21st of February, 2019. Campaigning for an Oscar is a lot like campaigning for public office, with a weird twist. In the movie business, you're supposed to pretend you're chill about the whole thing. Not here to win just here for the artistic conversation and interesting people. You can't look like you're asking for votes. In fact that's strictly disallowed by the Academy. You've got to look like you're celebrating cinema in its pure and in a pure and disinterested way. Remember in Hamilton when Aaron Burr starts openly campaigning for vice president in the full public eye, asking for votes and shaking hands and flirting with women. And everyone finds it a bit gauche. Hollywood fancies itself still in a pre-birth stage that's interesting because if you're not allowed to campaign for votes then how does somebody on the academy who hasn't a film nominated like steven spielberg did vote i mean isn't that kind of like double dipping a bit because his film west side story was nominated and if he's a director and he can't obviously he wasn't nominated this year he can vote for best picture but how yeah i mean isn't that a bit biased if he's voting for his own film i mean if, if he's allowed to i'm not sure how it works that system could be rigged or it could be easily manipulated especially when you have individuals who have vested interests in film studios like Fox or Universal Paramount what have you, you know, if you have a Steven Spielberg or a Ridley Scott on the Academy and they have a film nominated or a or a relative working in the industry it seems like you know it could be easy to manipulate they'd obviously you know they could vote for their either vote for themselves or vote for their friends, family, whatever it is. There probably is a failsafe against that, but just thinking out loud, all right, back to the article. But the ostensible disinterest is total hogwash. You need only follow the Oscars chatter in trade public locations to know that for the past 20 years or so, Hollywood studios and production companies have hired strategists and consultants to run Oscar campaigns. Spending millions of dollars to catch the attention... Of the right voters who could help push their films to victory okay so we're starting to see how things are voted for and how the academy works so in 2016 variety estimated that studios spend anywhere between 3 million to an upward of 10 million dollars to lobby oscar voters according to a 2017 new yorker story about modern oscar campaigns that's fucking ridiculous the figure can run as high as 15 million consultants on the campaigns command tens of thousands of dollars for their services with more in bonuses in their film wins. Yeah, of course, no one does anything for free these days. Hollywood's campaigns for Oscars cost less than the hundreds of million dollars that go into presidential campaigns, but they're just as much about money and the influence it can indirectly buy through events and endorsements and advertising. Actress Susan Sarandon, speaking, it seems not just for herself, has called for campaign finance reform. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. The Academy likes to paint this picture that they're a fair and even playing field, but as we're starting to see, it's not so much the case. If you have the money for a fancy campaign trail, you've got a better chance of getting nominated than someone who doesn't. When you think about it, it's actually a pretty clever strategy. If you have a film that isn't a commercial success, that you've spent you know, like, you know, 20 $30, 40000000 million making, and it's not making the returns at the box office, if you spend a couple more million dollars class it as a tax write-off for advertisement purposes or whatever if you can do that all of a sudden your 30 million dollar film that only grossed three million dollars at the box office gets the tick of approval from oscar gets nominated and all of a sudden millions of people want to see it all because it has that gold oscar sticker next to the poster and if it wins then all of a sudden that 30 million dollar film that's only made three million dollars makes 100 million it's a good way to kind of Counteract a commercial failure of a film and make it a prestigious success, even if the film is shit or not. That's kind of clever. Back to it. Studios pick their candidates based on electability and pour money into them, targeting Oscar voters with ads, mailers, screeners, events, and a lot more. As a film critic who also reports on the industry, I'm a part of the audience for these campaigns, even though I'm not an Oscar voter, I receive some of the mailers and event invitations, which fill my email inbox and my real mailbox for a few months at the end of each year. So in a way, this is kind of bribing re- reviewers to get positive reviews, or you know, to, to get a decent review, kind of like how companies pay for good reviews on their websites about products. They're very obvious, they're not a genuine product review, but it doesn't stop companies from all over the world and businesses and brands paying for reviews that will you know hopefully sell more products based on a falsified product review eligibility relies on a number of factors from whether the movie subject matter is likely to appeal to the academy to the stars charisma both on screen and off but its most important element and what every piece of an oscar campaign is devoted to constructing is the narrative of oscar worthiness around a film yeah it's interesting so if you make a If you made a movie with deliberate themes running through it, that's going to appeal to the Academy. So you make a movie about two gay cowboys, it's probably going to appeal to the Academy a lot more than about two stoners who lost their car. If you put a certain theme in in a movie, and once again, this kind of goes back to the political side of it, it's going to get more traction with the Academy than if you don't. So if you're just making a movie about, I don't know, a heterosexual couple going through marital problems, it's probably going to get noticed by the Academy, but... If you really want to get noticed by the Academy and you don't have a couple of extra million squared away for an Oscars campaign, you make a movie that has a interracial homosexual couple and now all of a sudden you're getting more attention from the Academy. You can't just make a standard kitchen sink drama anymore, you've got to have some type of political or societal theme running through it and then you get on the Academy's radar. So that's kind of sneaky, kind of smart. Obviously, there's a hell of a lot more to an Oscars campaign than just that. A good narrative matters just as much as, and sometimes more than, the film itself in determining who ends up with the gold statues on Oscars night. It's possible to build a narrative around a less than ideal candidate that compensates for what they lack in appeal. If you can spend enough money on a good campaign and make a voting body think their votes for your candidate mean something, something that's important to them then you've done most of the work. Just look at this year with Will Smith. I mean, obviously there was a lot of things going on with that guy that no one wanted to acknowledge. He spent years making himself Mr. Nice Guy, only to have it publicly exposed in front of billions of people. But that's not the image the Oscars want to project. They're supposed to be a glittery, glamorous event of celebrating an art form, the king of all award shows, something magical, something worth aspiring to. They're supposed to be recognising the best movie, the best performances, the best cinematography, the best costume design, not the best Oscar campaign. And yet the reality is different. All Oscar campaigns take some calculated steps on a path to winning, just like presidential candidates do. Like aligning the candidate with a viable archetype, reflecting values that appeal to voters, participating in campaign events, racking up good endorsements and maybe playing a little dirty too. Every piece of a successful Oscars campaign is focused on crafting the belief in voters' minds that this movie not only can win, but should. That's what makes it an Oscar movie, and running the campaign often starts with everything but the movie itself. Very interesting. If you play the game and you manipulate your Oscars campaign, you can definitely target your film to the Academy. Yeah, that's interesting. So this is this whole side of the Oscars I didn't know existed. I had no idea that this kind of stuff went on. I figured there was a side to the campaigns that was, you know, probably it was very political. Obviously, I know they spent a lot of money on these campaigns to try and get the movies out there. But I had no idea just how deep the layers of the Oscar campaign goes. It's pretty much a full-time job just campaigning for the Oscars. And it, in some cases, it costs just as much, if not more, to have a successful Oscar campaign than it does to make the film. A good Oscars campaign begins with getting the movie story straight. You've made a film, the reviews have been good, people like the movie, and now the studio wants to run it for the Oscars. What do you do first? Figure out a compelling narrative around the film, and then get people to buy into it. This is why we made it. Not just how we made it, but why we made it. These are the people that made it. You're trying to give the movie a human face. Producer Jordan Horowitz explained to me, which is no stranger to Oscar campaign strategies, he produced the acclaimed 2016 film La La Land, another film that I've never heard anyone say anything good about, and briefly became a sensation after the infamous on-stage mix-up at the 2017 Oscars, during which he gracefully ceded his Best Picture acceptance speech to Moonlight's producers, after realising his film had been announced erroneously as the winner. And years before that, the first film he produced, 2010s the kids are all right was nominated for four oscars including best picture this is a quote from him crafting that narrative that both is the movie and beyond the movie is a huge part of the conversation he continued how you market the film who goes to see the film how they talk about it all of that feeds into the narrative of the movie especially during award season getting the film's narrative right and maybe the single most important thing that any oscar campaign can do The goal is to identify how a movie fits into the archetype that appeals to potential voters, then captures those voters' hearts, minds, and imagination to earn their support. Which is true of movies and true of politicians. After all, as the quip goes, Washington is just Hollywood for ugly people. Pretty funny quote. Unfortunately, movies and politics are pretty much joined at the hip. Pretty much any form of business is political in one way or another. And unfortunately, you can't really escape politics, even when you want to go to the movies and just switch off and just watch a good story, there's always something political going on, whether that's in the story or behind the scenes. One of the main advantages of Barack Obama, for example, was that he never had to articulate why he was the candidate of change. Laura Olin, who oversaw Obama's digital strategy during his 2012 re-election campaign, told me, you could just look at him and be like, oh, that guy's different. His name is different, the way he looks is different. He's a different race from every other president we've ever had. So much of the power of his story and his values were rooted in where he came from. Some movies have narratives baked right into their DNA, just like Obama did. They come out of nowhere, think of a sleeper hit like This Year's A Quiet Place or a low-budget film like Moonlight. They're representative of the future, think Black Panther or Avatar. Or they're the stories we need right now, often the pitch for movies like 2006 Best Picture winner, Crash, or this year's Best Picture nominated Green Book. Others require a bit of a careful strategizing to develop the narrative that's appealing to voters and makes the movie stand out in the crowd. But the important thing is to think in terms of archetypes, Jim Maragolis told me. Maragolis is a political consultant with a long history as an advisor to the Democratic Party presidential campaigns. Most recently, he served as a senior media advisor for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign. Did you get a money back or did you get fired for that one? Before that, he worked on both of Obama's presidential campaigns. He's also worked with clients in the entertainment industry. Marigolis pointed to both Senator Barry Sanders and Obama as examples of established archetypes. In 2016, Sanders was the little engine that could who surprised everyone by making the race out of it and carrying on to the end, even when it looked like improbable or impossible. Marigolis explained, During Obama's primary run against Hillary Clinton in 2008, Sanders had the advantage of running against the inevitable candidate, thus positioning himself as the underdog, the unlikely candidate of change. I think for successful political candidates, Marigolis continued, There is a dimension that's not all about policy. It is much more about how people relate and react to that person as an individual, to what they see in them. People want to vote for the politicians they find motivating and inspiring, and that desire prevails when it comes to movies too. Voters respond to films whose surrounding narratives resonate with them. That's why the archetype a movie fits matters in the movie's Oscar campaign. You can detect Hollywood's favourite archetypes in the narratives that develop around movies as award season approaches. They come up in interviews, in promotional materials, distributed to the press, in chatter about specific films. Interesting. So that's why they choose to release the blockbuster movies at certain times of year, because these are the movies that probably aren't going to get recognised by the Academy or you know win awards outside of the technical categories. One of the most loved Hollywood archetypes is that of The Underdog, the movie that almost didn't get made. The script or the story that spent years struggling to find a filmmaker or studio executive Who would put their shoulder behind the project and see it through? And as a bonus, the underdog narrative works whether the finished film turns out to be an acclaimed but low in earnings or a huge box office hit. So it's a good way to get some of your money back if you have a low budget film. Consider Black Panther, which was the rare distinction of being both 2018's top grossing film and a Best Picture nominee. It's also a superhero movie, which has historically been the death knell for a movie's Oscar chances outside of the technical categories. Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight, The Anomalous Exception, was nominated for 10 Oscars and won two, but notably was not nominated for Best Picture, which is a crime. But Black Panther didn't have an easy path to this point. Wesley Snipes wanted to make a Black Panther movie in 92, but it never happened, though the idea laid the foundation for Blade. The character story was identified way back in 2005 as one of the original stories in development for Marvel Studios, which was still new at the time. Marvel's first major release was Iron Man back in 2008. Eight years later, in October 2014, Black Panther was finally announced to be on Marvel's slate for late 2017, a date later pushed into the following year. The road to its actual premiere was lifted with casting announcements and production changes, And even when it finally came out, it had to be contended with the outdated idea that black films don't travel. Now, it's the first superhero film ever to be nominated for Best Picture. All those factors could make even the year's most successful film seem like an underdog at the Oscars. Is it nominated for Best Picture because it is actually a great movie? I mean, it's a good movie. It's pretty much the same as every other Marvel origin story. I don't know if it really deserved to be best picture. Another archetype in the celebration of the power of art, often the art of cinema, think movies like Argo, La La Land and The Artist in 2019. That's Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, A Star is Born. The film is almost ouroboric in its archetype given that its story, which has been remade either three or four times, depending on whether you count the 1932 film or what price Hollywood as part of the lineage that continues with versions of A Star Is Born, made in 1937, 1954 and 1976, is about show business. Early versions were about Hollywood itself and while the 2018 version and the 1976 version focus on the music industry, the story about becoming a star and then seeing that star fall is especially potent for people who work in either field. And the narrative built up around A Star Is Born reflects that. Cooper prepared for the role by learning to sing, play guitar, and Laurie's voice. That kind of labour that Academy members who've had to do similar things for a role find especially attractive. A similar arc is evident in the casting of Lady Gaga, already a megastar yet who has managed to position herself as an engine in the manner of her character, and spoken at length about the experience of auditioning for the film, especially going make-up free. She spent the entire award season talking about how the movie changed her, and how she will never be the same. There's a picture of a variety advertisement for A Star is Born, and it has one of the quotes from the Los Angeles Times. And the quote is passionate, emotional, and fearless. I always love those quotes, especially the ones that go poignant, disturbing, current, or some other pretentious drivel. How's the film poignant? I mean, I get if you had said fun, entertaining, and exhilarating. Exhilarating is probably going a little bit too far because I'm not sure there's too many films that are that exhilarating anymore. Fun, yeah, movies are fun. They're enjoyable. Fun, enjoyable, passionate. People cared about the story and not about other stuff. Meanwhile, the movie's final ad push, which showed up in newspapers and on TV the weekend before the Oscars, feeds into the same narrative with a tagline reading, There are movies we admire, but there is just one we feel. Oh, well, if you hear that, you've got to go see the movie. It's that kind of emotional manipulation that makes people interested in those movies, especially if you you know you have no originality or backbone. The Star is Born tagline seems like a pointed dig at its competitor Roma, which fits into an archetype that may be best described as the quote-unquote masterpiece, or perhaps the authorist movie, an artistic achievement and personal passion project, from an already decorated director, in this case, Alphonse Caron, Caroon, however you say it, who won Best Director for Gravity in 2014, but has yet to have one of his films win Best Picture. Roma premiered to widespread critical acclaim at the Venice and then Toronto Film Festivals in the fall. So in a way, that's kind of like the prelude to the Oscars, and it's a, it's a good way to start the campaign there, because if it's successful at the film festivals, it's usually going to probably get picked up or noticed by the Academy. Caron, who's worked hard to emphasize that it's not just personal, but autobiographical. Roma is also the first best picture contender for Netflix, which has been pouring money into its campaign for the film. But given the platform's reputation as an outsider that's trying to disrupt the film industry, that fact could work against its chances with some members of the Academy who would see a Netflix win as less of an achievement and more of a harbinger of death of cinema. So those constructing the narrative around Roma have tried to avoid letting the narrative be about Netflix, an effort that includes Caron's giving a strong response to a journalist who asked about the streaming company after the Golden Globes. And that's something Spielberg really put his foot in his mouth with. He, uh, he's try, he tried to boycott streaming service films from being included in the Academy Awards. He said some strong things to say about Netflix but he kind of went back on his word when he got a pretty lucrative deal from Apple to produce and direct content for them. So that's hypocrisy at work again in Hollywood. Instead, Roma's Oscar campaign has focused on how personal the film is for Caron and how it shaped even the hiring of its crew. One of the film's producers, Gabriela Rodriguez, who will, if Roma wins Best Picture, become the first Latino to win in the category, emphasised to me aspects beyond the intricacy of Chiron's vision. She noted how determined he was to pay respect to Lebo, the woman on whom Aroma's main character Cleo is based, who raised Chiron and his siblings. Alphonse, when he crewed up the entire team, he was adamant, I don't want to hire just a crew because they're established or because they're well known for anything. I want a crew of people around me that are willing to embrace this process that's atypical, that is personal, that we're going to do this in a different way, Rodriguez told me. Getting your archetype right matters because it motivates and inspires voters, but that's only half of what makes a good story around an Oscar hopeful. Archetypes are only half the story, the other half is values. Voters are inspired by origin stories, but they're also interested in what their vote says about them. In other words, your movie story is about not just its archetype, but the values it projects. You've also got to figure out how to convince the voters that the film matters and why. The Oscars Best Picture category can have up to 10 nominees. There are 8 in 2019, and differentiating them from each other isn't as simple as presenting a binary code. It's not as if movies disagree with each other like candidates do. It's more like, this is why the movie makes the most sense for the world we're in right now. For the industry as it is, this is why it's important to honour it. Here's the statement you're making and lifting this particular picture up, it said. Academy of Voters have the same sense that the films, performances and filmmakers they choose to reward are the reflection of the industry's values, which is particularly important in 2019. With hashtag OscarsSoWhite barely in the rearview mirror and the hashtag MeToo very much ongoing, an industry trying to to present itself as becoming progressively more inclusive and open-minded, and maybe more inclusive and open-minded than America at large, is more likely to seriously consider some of the films that might have been pushed to the side in the past. That's why, for instance, Black Panther stars Lupita Nyong'o and Michael B. Jordan returned to the press circuit long after the film left theatres. To talk about the impact of their film, a year after it came out, reminding voters that Black Panther has had a tangible effect on audiences and the film industry, was important for the keeping it at the front of the Oscar viewers' minds as, the, as they begin choosing winners. And Black Panther is a great example of a film that hits more than one sweet spot for voters. It's not just a mega-hit blockbuster with a story that projects specific ideas about blackness. It's also a film in which audiences and Academy members might see a representation of themselves on screen. It feels to many like a transformational film, one that represents the future of Hollywood. Contrast the transformational feeling of Black Panther with A Star Is Born, a film that is beloved by many but doesn't do anything that voters haven't seen before which could be good or bad, depending on whether a voter approves of the direction Hollywood's currently headed in. So it seems there's a lot that goes into selecting the film. And by the sound of it, it comes down to individual taste. Like the article just mentioned, if you had an old school director or producer that liked the way Hollywood used to be or liked a certain type of film, they're probably going to go for the more traditional type film but if you if you're a bit more unorthodox a bit more out there a younger more hip or more out there director would would more than likely vote for that film over the more traditional film that they would probably consider a bit boring and cliched or consider green book which feels like the kind of movie about racism hollywood used to make in the 1990s one that suggests that we could work out our problems if we could only talk to one another Many of the people who made those movies are still likely voting on the Oscars, whether it's the zeitgeist year to year. There are movies that would be an awards movie one year, that wouldn't be an awards movie another year, Horwitz told me. So much like a political campaign, it's about trying to read the tea leaves. Sometimes movies get pushed into the binary choice political framework, even if they don't have a clear political message. In 2017, when Moonlight and La La Land emerged as frontrunners for Best Picture, they were promptly pitted against each other, not just as films, but as avatars for for politics in America roiling after the 2016 election. La La Land painted by its detractors as whitewashing pablum, who's supposed to represent Donald Trump in this schematic. Moonlight, on the other hand, was less Hillary Clinton than the legacy of Obama. Horwitz chuckled when I asked him about it. Well, it got very redactive, he said, adding. The 2016 election had just happened, and there was a lot of raw emotion. People ascribed a lot of stuff to those two movies in particular. They both had to carry a lot of water for a lot of different things. But again, that's what happens. Same thing happens in a political campaign, right? People project their hopes and fears onto a candidate. We saw that happen with Obama. We see it happen with candidates all the time. We're talking about art at the end of the day, right? You can project feelings onto art and emotions onto these pictures. You can wind up projecting those hopes and dreams and fears and all those things onto a candidate. Even if a film doesn't get rolled into current cultural debates, something that's harder and harder to imagine, with each passing year, a vote for, its, a vote for it is a vote for a particular vision of Hollywood. It's a representation of the values the voter wants to project as well as whether they find the film relatable. And that can have a great impact on where votes go. Mix the values of film with the archetype it fits into and you have a potentially powerful voter magnet. A story that can make your movie stick in the minds of Academy members as they sit down to fill out their Oscar ballots. But there's a lot of time between the release of a film and someone casting their best picture vote, including the whole campaign season. A lot can change over that time. Running a successful Oscars campaign means knowing how to target your voters. And that is where the cinematic rubber meets the long, long road. And that is a good place to end this podcast. We'll pick it up in the next episode in part two of Ding Dong Oscars Dead. It's a very interesting article, very eye-opening. It exposes a side of the Oscars and of Hollywood that is not very often seen by the public. A lot of that was completely new to me. I had no idea about the Oscars campaign trail and how hard people had to campaign to get a film noticed by the Academy. So it was very eye-opening stuff. That was from Vox.com. Vox.com is a great source of information. They have a lot of very well-researched articles. So i recommend looking them up and looking up the article I just read if you want to find out more information. That article was entitled How to Win an Oscar by Elisa Wilkinson. So in Part 2 of Ding Dong Oscars Dead, we'll continue our deep dive into the world of Oscars campaigning. and We'll pick the article up where we left off, We'll be looking at the more personal side of an Oscars campaign, such as the campaigning done by actors, directors and producers to try and get their films noticed by the Academy, such as turning on the charm offensive, from hosting parties and Q&A panels to giving out gifts. And we'll also have a look at the dirtier, more dodgy side of Oscars campaigning and look at some of the tricks and tactics used by studios and individuals to try and discredit their Academy Award competition. So definitely stay tuned for that. That's been recorded. I just need to edit it so it won't be a such a huge wait for part two, as is the case for most of the podcasts I put out. So definitely stay tuned for that. All right, that brings us to the end of the show. A big thank you to everyone who made it to the end. If you would like to support The Truth Tank, there's a couple of things you can do. Follow and like the Facebook page. Rate and review The Truth Tank on iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from tell your friends and family people you think might like it help spread the word around i'll be back in a couple of weeks with part two of ding dong oscars dead the third part of the the fourth part or third part of the epic look at bioweapons is in production it's nearly finished so i should have that in a month or two as well as a couple of future episodes that are in the works right big thank you to everyone who listened as always i'm a tank this is the truth may the truth be with you (laughs) In <laughs>